Well, gentlemen, um, Greg, I don't know how you wanted to intro your selection for this week, but I just wanted to welcome everyone here to Death Row. Well, here at Death Row Records, which is now owned by Hasbro, <laughs> we, uh, we like to you know, revisit the classics. So I'd like to open up sure. with uh, Lottie Dottie by the Snoop D.O. Double Jason. Lordy Dordy, we likes to party, we don't cause trouble, we don't bother nobody, we're just some niggas who on the mic, and when we rock up on the mic, we rock the mic, for all my dogs, keeping y'all in health, just to see you smile and enjoy yourself, cause it's cool when you cause a cozy conditioning, which we create, cause that's our mission, so listen close. To what we say because this type of shit happens every day. I woke up around 10 o'clock in the morning. I gave myself a stretch up a morning yawning. Went to the bathroom to wash up. I threw some soap on my face and put my hands up on a cup and said, um, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the top dog of them all? There was a ruffle double. Five minutes it lasted. The mirror said, You are, you conceited <laughs> bastard. Well, Classic, man. That's so good. Gia. Yeah. Gia. Yeah. Well, Greg and uh, Nick, welcome to another episode of You Should Check It Out. My name's Jay. I'm Nick. And I'm Greg. And this week, well, every week, we're talking about music and some stuff that we got on our minds and listened to some tracks, like that classic track from uh, Snoop Dogg and Death Row Records. I yeah, think what, it what begs the up? question. What brings that up? I think it begs the question, Greg. Well, I was clicking around, you know, checking out the news, and uh, I saw this interesting headline saying that Death Row Records is now owned by Hasbro, which Ooh. we don't hear the word. We don't hear Hasbro too often. It's spelled H-A-S-B-R-O. You might recognize it as the toy company that is, yeah. well, it's a massive toy company that you know, it has like G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe, Mr. Potato Head, Monopoly, Power Rangers. I mean, like, you know, a lot of the classics and uh, they're responsible for all that. And apparently now, well, they purchased something called Entertainment One, which is a multimedia company that actually owns other like children's franchises, like maybe newer ones that those of us with kids might know, like Peppa Pig, Peppa Mm -hmm. Pig Ah. and uh, PJ Masks. But, Anyway, Entertainment One was purchased by Hasbro. It turns out that Entertainment One also happens to own Death Row Records, which... <laughs> Part I of mean, the deal. It's, Part of the deal. It just yeah. fits in perfectly in that por- yeah. portfolio. Yeah, because, I, you know, and I'm still kind of doing more and more research on this, but apparently Death Row filed for bankruptcy in 2006 and was auctioned to this company for $18 million in wow. 2009. So for those of us who maybe aren't as familiar with Death Row Records. It was founded in 91 by this guy, Suge Knight, who, you know, if you know anything about 90s mm-hmm. hip hop, was a, you know, a major player. He wasn't really an artist, but he was a manager. And, you know, he's almost like kind of a a gangster, like an actual gangster, yeah, like mafia some, type figure. Shake-ups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mogul. And he had, he had a, a, a violent history and a reputation for uh, intimidating people. He, I, I read something about him. He was trying to get Vanilla Ice to sign to his label, and he threatened <laughs> to throw him that. off a balcony. You know, there's all kinds of weird stories like that with, with Suge Knight. <laughs> Who hasn't yeah. wanted to throw he, Vanilla Ice off a balcony, though? Well, yeah. I mean, there's a rumor that he gave, he injected Eazy-E with AIDS. Shut the fuck yeah. up. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> 
Yeah. Are these I, I, substantiated? What? We gotta be careful. I mean, no. I mean, look, look it up because in there's a uh, an interview. Oh, it's on the internet. There's oh. an interviewer too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I just made it up off the top of my head. No, I mean he uh, he kind of alludes to it straight in this weird way in an interview. Wow. It's crazy, man. Yeah, you, you gotta look it up. But anyway, that's a little bit more on the conspiracy theory side. So I don't want to necessarily say that, but I'm just saying that it's out there. Um, We touched it, yeah. But he's definitely (laughs) been incarcerated, you know, for various violent flare-ups. So anyway, this guy started this record label with Dr. Dre in 91. And at its peak, it was making $150 million a year. Wow. Yeah, because it was like a Man. it was a what was the what was the roster at like their height? Well, it had Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, which was like right. a complete right. phenomenon, and then they, the, and then that attracted Tupac. Right. right. Yeah. So that sure. was that was all you pretty much need right there. Well, at that time, yeah, because this is also in the '90s where you were actually selling CDs. Right. And something right. that happened, you know, this is just something that I learned from watching a, a series on HBO called The Defiant Ones, which is about Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. Uh, oh, yeah, a producer, yeah. which is amazing. Um, I've been meaning to check that that's out. That's absolutely essential. Yeah, it's like a four-episode series on HBO. Yeah. And, uh, it's, Wasn't there a part with uh, Bruce Springsteen in there? Oh, yeah. On that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, they, I, I saw that part. Yeah, he's like working Jimmy Iovine to like to the point of insanity. And um, they're co- they were making, I think it's Born to Run. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're making that record. It's a really, really cool. There's a lot of Tom Petty stuff. That, that's, that's a whole different bag of worms. But uh, <laughs> in the... Uh, documentary they talk about how when cds came out when they replaced cassettes interestingly enough cds were higher quality but they were cheaper to make oh okay but because yeah, sure. the quality no was higher parts. they jacked up the price so the profit right, margin right. just like went through the roof and so that's sure. why these labels were just raking it in hmm. makes sense yeah, yeah. so I, I thought that was a really interesting point because uh, us consumers didn't know Right, and it was also an opportunity to resell all these albums to people who had bought them before. Yeah. Like, now you can get them on the highest quality. So, it's exactly. they weren't even making new product, necessarily. It was just... Yeah, and if there was a new product, like the new Dr. Dre record, it was going to go it, platinum, you know, like, yeah. easily, and they were just going to rake it in. So Sure. It's, so what happened in in the two thousands? I mean, what it seems like they were on top of everything. I, I don't really know the story. Well, I think the the beginning of the <laughs> downfall was Tupac's murder. Okay. Which, by the way, when Tupac was murdered, guess who was driving him? Suge Mr. Suge Knight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. And there's obviously a lot of conspiracy theories about that. Maybe he's still alive. <laughs> you know, he's not. He's know. not. Just a heads up. He's not. No, oh, they found him in Zanzibar the other day. Oh, yeah. I saw him oh, dude. No, he, 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 we've been texting a little bit. That guy's Excellent. name is actually Pac Two. Yeah, exactly. Pac Two. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, well, uh, that's crazy, man. Yeah. So that, it, that was like the beginning of the da- of the downfall, and then I I don't want to speculate on dates, but okay. So the, the Tupac was murdered in '96, but eventually Tupac, uh, excuse me, Suge Knight was incarcerated. So that sort of you know with these major figures no longer present. And, you know, the music industry yeah. changing. I, I like, like Nick said, Napster, of course. That's when things kind of started to deteriorate. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And now they're owned by Hasbro. And now they're owned by sure was, Hasbro. That was probably their original goal, right? I would assume so. That was, yeah, yeah that was an end game. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's just so funny. The world that we live in now that uh, that, that can be a reality of part of some major corporate 
conglomerate's portfolio is, mm-hmm. you know, what used to be the vanguard of badass West Coast hip hop. And probably all they all they do is they just hold it in their portfolio to like license yeah. to TV shows, like that's sell a couple T-shirts, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they may not even have known that Death Row was part of this entertainment conglomerate I that they were they buying. I hope they did the due diligence. I hope. Somebody probably knew, but I bet... It's, I, it was a line item. Yeah. It's in there. Exactly. Fair exactly. enough. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so it, it's also, I mean, you know, Death Row was actually, like, strongly affiliated with gangs. You know, like Bloods and Crips, and it's just crazy that, like, these... That's where it started, and now it's part of a toy company yeah anyway was it entirely yeah. west coast like did they stay west coast artists yeah that was sort of the like the rivalry because then you right. had Shug, Shug knight was like also like the it was like the big west coast east coast oh yeah yeah thing. he was yeah. He, he was like the um, provoker i think of a lot of these things and i think that yeah. not even if he wasn't the one saying it he was encouraging the artists to say it yeah yeah, yeah he thought it I, sold right i mean it was yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the then I want to say, and then the East Coast was more like Notorious B.I.G. and Puff Daddy, and uh, but they had Bad Boy records, so it was Death Row versus Bad, Bad Boy. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was an interesting time, you know. Some, some of, I mean, we're, you know, we're getting there, a little older, eh? but mm, uh, you know, not everybody, not all, maybe not all the listeners will have lived through that, but you know. Yeah. And then the, it, and then the murders, you know, and then the retaliation for them. It was crazy time, mm-hmm. dude. So. Yeah, it, it's it's funny remembering that time now and how big Death Row and those albums were, you know, when they came out, that we would lo- be looking back on them not that much longer Mm-mm. and just saying, you know, giving a retrospective and selling them to a toy company. Yeah. On the opposite side of the spectrum, I uh, texted you guys this week because I decided that... You laid claim. I did. I, I basically marked my territory on uh-huh. uh, my review of the of the Tool album. I said I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the review for this one. Yep. Which in my mind it was kind of like when James May uh, would review like the hottest supercar <laughs> on uh, Top Gear. You know the slow guy mm-hmm. doing the Top Gear. They would put him in the fast car just because they know that he doesn't really care about that that stuff. But I, I do hmm. care about Tool. But I I know that I'm probably of the three of us the least metal focused and less least progressive rock focused out of the three of us mm-hmm. um i do love tool no doubt about it we've made no bones about that on on the podcast so far but as i was listening to it i had i don't know an interesting perspective on it i think um okay let's do this first of all i absolutely think it's an astonishing record i, I love it I, it's, I think wow. it's great. It's, it's a great piece of work. I've listened to it a couple of times now. Have you guys gotten a chance to check it out? Yes. I, I, I was on vacation this past week with the kids, and I found myself I, I was listening to it, and it definitely I have a visceral reaction to Tool, which is a good thing, but it wasn't suited for a family vacation with the boys at the beach. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> and then coming back... I was all like down because vacation's over and Labor Day's here and school's starting back up and just associating that with my childhood feelings of uh, crap. Um, <laughs> and so, and I went and listened to it. I was listening to it again, and I was like, ah, I'm so angry. Um, so I, I, I think I've listened to all but the last two tracks, but feel like I've got a solid grasp of of you know Lateralis 2.0 or Fear Inoculum, whatever you call it. Right, um, right. But really liked it. Really liked it. What were your thoughts, Greg? Greg? I, or, I, Greg, Greg, Greg. Yeah, Greg. Greg, I assume you. Oh you, yeah, man. Well, I had um, 
So I had to drive from LA to San Diego and back and over Labor Day weekend, this traffic is awful. So I, I, I was just like, thank God this came out today, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, uh, and I got to listen to it a few times and, uh, yeah, I mean, look, man, you know, they didn't have to make this record, but they did, you know? And I think to, for us, I mean, I know that they they stand to make a lot of money, you know, on it, but I don't really hear that as the goal on this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, although I do feel like maybe people who have heard, who've only scratched the surface with Tool will be like, I don't understand why this is different from anything yeah. else they've made. But if you yeah. do know it, it's so different from anything else that they've made. You think so? I do. And I, th- I think that it's just next level, man, in so many ways. I think that huh. the drums are just like, I, I don't, I think that this is like a new standard. The drums just sound incredibly clear. The guitars sound incredibly, everything just is clear. It's like mm-hmm. a pillow has been lifted off and, you know. The, they turned up the treble is what they think. <laughs> Maybe that's what they did. <laughs> Maybe that's all they did. They finally found that harmonizer plug yeah. in. But, that's um, interesting. I, I, that's really interesting. I, I, now I want to go back and listen to it again right now just to, because I, I listened to it, thoroughly enjoyed it, but I didn't hear my, upon first listen. Which maybe it was a distracted listen, and maybe I got to kind of yeah. immerse myself in it. Yeah. But, so but I didn't I, I really mean, hear anything new. What, what were you thinking, Jay? Well, so here's the thing. I, we we've talked about it. it was a 13 year wait. It's mm-hmm. it's a big deal for music nerds, um, guys who are really into progressive rock. And you know, I saw this one review today that was like, you know, basically Maynard could have squatted in front of a mirror and taken a YouTube video of him, you know, laying an egg, and some people would have called it brilliant. And I think there's some truth to that. But a bit of fan worship, it, yeah. There have been a lot of big albums that have come out from big artists that have been heavily anticipated. I mean, that happens all the time. Bruce Springsteen's most recent album mm-hmm. um, is probably what I have in my mind as far as like uh, amount of expectations for it, you know, versus what is what it, what actually comes out. And this is the first album that I've heard in a really long time that somehow matches the weight of the expectations that were hmm. laid against it. And that, to me, is just... its It just doesn't seem to happen that much in media these, these days because everyone's so jaded. Everyone has access to so much stuff. And I think that what you said, Greg, is probably right, that it's not going to bring in new Tool fans necessarily. Um, I think people who aren't as familiar with their work are going to listen to it just like you said and said, well, this kind of sounds like most of the other Tool stuff that I've heard. Mm-hmm. But it really really rewards an in-depth listen and and i totally agree with you greg that the drums sound phenomenal on this album Mm -hmm. i mean if you listen to it with a good set of headphones man it's like it's such a wide soundscape and it just if to me it feels like if you close your eyes it just feels like danny carey's drums spread from the very far end of the left ear to the very far end of the right ear Mm -hmm. and i felt like i was like manning like the ramparts at some you know castle man it was like it was just a beautiful like to get technical to get technical do you feel like there was a a major difference in like the miking and 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 mix with the drums between this and lateralis the sound is reminiscent of lateralis for sure Uh uh-huh um, I would say they're I, they're building on what they've been doing this whole time, you know. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. That's why I mean, I, it's. But technically, I think the drums are more forward than on some in of the mix. Albums. They're they're further. Yeah. yeah okay. I mean, the, right. the drums are like the centerpiece of the entire mm-hmm. album, and we're yeah. not. That's, the guitars are just that's, 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 that's I would say. I feel like right. 
But I, I would say I would say that they've always been, you know, very present. But but for, for some reason, this one it just kind of it's just another notch. And I, I also don't want to uh, overlook the bass playing uh, and the, and again the guitar. Yeah, I mean yeah. they. Oh yeah, like, the bass is just like ugh, it's just gnarly, man. You just kind you just mm-hmm. kind of want to keep listening to it. Um, yeah. I know like people complain like every song's in the same key and da 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 da, and it's like that doesn't. That's just what Tool does. Like you got to accept that. And if you can't accept yeah. it, then you maybe you're not a fan, and nobody cares. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but totally. if you can, but if you sort of say, okay, well, it's kind of like their hypnotic technique. You know, it's like it's yeah. all based yeah. on drone. You, what are you gonna are you gonna tell Ravi Shankar? Like, hey man, why don't you go to a different key? You know, like right. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just like, you know that thing you do with the sitar, like the yeah. point, point, like could you not do? Yeah, that like as much? like uh, can you get rid of that drone? You know, it's, I mean, that's just that's like the whole point. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I definitely so, have a lot of thoughts about about the record. Um, let me uh, let me just run through my my kind of laundry list of the things I wanted to, to touch on because I mean we could spend an, an hour on this and mm-hmm. I'd be happy to sometime. I, I think it's a major statement in the media landscape these days. I think it's getting a lot of attention. Every single review that I've seen has been nothing but glowing. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that it's great necessarily, but it's rare to see this amount of positive press especially um, on tool yeah for tool for yeah. like a band Tool's that was never really been hated they, in the like, 90s <laughs> yeah they've never been a fan critics have never been been a fan of tool really it's yeah yeah it's i think really lateralis was was the turning point for that yeah you know when they started to get a little bit more smart and less fart jokes but you know uh, the second song um is that numa yeah it's just phenomenal i love that second song mm-hmm. it really it's brilliant and familiar you know, so it, it, it definitely sounds like a Tool song, but there's so many layers and the, the building and the, the tension, the release. Um, there's a couple parts that it sounds like it's like a Stephen Reich piece, but for metal. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's very much in that kind of a sugar mold, but, you know, a little bit more melodic. Parts playing off each other. The polyrhythms are crazy. I, Adam Jones, the guitar player, has this great quote that I think they really followed through with on this, that it's not good when it's done it's done when it's good mm. um, which puts a lot of you know explanation on why this thing took 13 mm-hmm. years to complete but probably the part that impressed me the most was was Maynard in both his lyrics and his vocal delivery you know his voice is just beautiful on, mm-hmm. on this album go ahead oh, I'm sorry I would just say you know and just going back real quick to, to people who are like oh it's all the same and you know uh, I would just challenge them like try playing along with that second song it is not obvious <laughs> Oh, you mean, you, know you mean, mean like all of their songs are the same? Yeah, like like that. that crit- okay, good. yeah, yeah, or like it all sounds the same. Like go, you know, I mean, this this is mostly for you know musicians and instrumentalists. But like, yeah, go on, like go go give it a, go give it a spin and try to play <laughs> along with it and see how easily you're gonna get lost. And then try to tell right. them, and then try to say that they're not doing something new. Right, right. You know, yeah. That's all. That's all I had to say about that. <laughs> sure. Because it's not just complexity for complexity's sake. I mean, it has a, it has its own like pulse and heartbeat. You know, and exactly. it's it, it definitely I feel it. Not everyone's gonna feel it, but I think some people are probably gonna say it's it, it's indulgent or over the top at points. But to me, it's it's not. It's and I I'm I listen but it to is that tool. a lot. It I mean, bothers it's tool. me. Like it's, it is it, definitely it, tool. That's I, I why I said it's brilliant so but familiar. I, I it sounds familiar. It. Yeah. But, I also heard a rumor but, that um, it might beat out Taylor Swift's new album. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that headline too. Which would be just so <laughs> poetic. So let's all you know. Let's hope for the for the next episode that we can talk about that. And I claim that story if it happens. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You all got right. it. Thank you. Uh, but 
just a real quick on on Maynard's lyrics. Um, it's I really like it. It seems to be like a focus on um, an embrace of common humanity and mm-hmm. what brings us all together and, and what makes us common, um, rather than embracing the fear that can be found in the world these days. Yeah, I think that's part of what the title like you're inoculating of the album is based against, on. right? Yeah. Just very very positive lyrics. They're, they verge on hippy dippy, but I like that stuff these days. So sure. that's cool. Um, I have Tempest, that's so good. <laughs> Tempest. That song was, you know, over the top good. The whole the whole thing's great. So I I had a lot of trouble figuring out a song that I wanted to play for my intermission track. But I think I'm gonna go with Descending. I'm mm. gonna play it starting kind of from the middle because it's a good it's a good example of um, some of the percussive polyrhythms and some good melodic stuff so sweet um, anything anything else guys before we uh before we move on from from tool land play it you got it sucks <laughs> <laughs> Nick I mean this is this is the the drummer's tool album which is really saying something yeah I'd agree it, it, no it's it's Denny carries a beast it, no yeah. doubt about it well to change gears a little bit uh Nick um, yeah, I got this you had, you had, I got this okay oh he got it he yeah. got it take I got take it, it away, I got sir. this I got this yeah. um yeah so I I was I was bouncing this around for the past couple weeks um whether or not to bring up this article that I that I had read um there's a band, an indie band called the Silver Jews, which have been around since the late 90s, I think. Yep. Um, kind of on on the same track as Pavement a little bit, kind of yep. counterpart to Pavement. But whereas Stephen Malkmus was kind of this goofy, I don't know, even some people say like genius in some regard to, to those that love Pavement, uh, but quirky and, and, and would intentionally you know make things lo-fi for the sake of lo-fi. David Berman, I, I hadn't really realized, but he's kind of like a tragic figure in like the most classical sense. Um, mm. I read this article in the Washington Post about his decision to end the band the years Silver ago. Juice. Yeah, Silver Juice. And how much of his entire life was shaped by his father, uh, who is this corporate lobbyist in D.C. And it kind of, it just kind of got me thinking about like, this is this guy, this David Berman's, you know, motivation in life is really to be outside of that shadow, right? The sins of the father, hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
so around the time that I was kind of poking around at this and, and thinking about it, because I've never been a huge Silver Jews fan, he he, he actually committed suicide um, right. about, about a week after this article came out, uh, about two yeah. weeks after the article came out. I, I do want to say that find help. You know what I mean? I, I'm doing. I'm, I'm not trying to glorify this guy's story in any way, shape, or form. Um, right. Right. It, it, it's it's fucking sad. But it, it really does seem like a like a really tragic end. And, and right like after, right Ugh. like a week after he released their new album. And, yeah. A yeah. new band, The Purple Mountains, um, which was kind of his reforming of this group, and it seemed like his getting his head out of the clouds. He kind of went into this self-diagnosed period where he wanted to hide from everyone and, and not be adulated in any way shape or form because he didn't feel yeah. he deserved it so I, I i honestly i don't have 10 minutes to fill with this to be honest um mm-hmm. but it, it was a a really interesting article about kind of what made him tick and in and of itself i kind of found like that that story just to be just sad just really yeah. freaking sad um because the yeah. guy was definitely he was a talented writer he had some pretty you know, quirky and, and, and thought-provoking lyrics that, that mm-hmm. he came out with, you know, in, in, in all the albums that they've done. But he also kind of, I realized that as I was kind of reading through it, that it kind of, I started imagining, like, I, I could actually see this being, like, what Kurt Cobain would have been in his 50s, really? right? Like, this this guy who has this, like, core rejection of what it means to live and work and succeed in today's society, and it's like his discomfort with success and his self-flagellation and his his poetry, which he took very seriously, but didn't want to be adulated for it because he felt that was not what he right. was looking for in writing it. Right. And right. and then unfortunately, you know, the successful taking of his own life. And, and that may be completely off the mark, but but a part of me was like, because he, he had tried to commit suicide back in, I think, 2003 or something, and it didn't succeed. Mm-hmm. And even then he was still like late 30s, so much older than Cobain was, but he kind of found a way to kind of get past that and, 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 and find find some happiness and, and there's a lot of like connections between him and his wife kind of were in a, played together for a while and he was happy until he finally just said nope i'm done with this too so uh, it is more of kind of a reflection on yeah. on, a, on a man's life is kind of the reason i wanted to pull this up because it really seemed like yeah. the guy had a lot to say had a lot of demons that unfortunately he couldn't get past well the, yeah the i've listened to the silver jews a couple times i was never a huge fan yeah, we had a friend um, in college that was really into them, and exactly, and then yeah. that's that's about as far as it went for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had heard about it, and then the uh, Rock in the Suburbs, the other podcast that I, that I work for, that we're going to be talking a little bit about later. Um, they are huge fans, and they actually had a an episode come out where the, where they reviewed the Purple Mountains um, mm-hmm. album before. He committed suicide, and actually mm-hmm. it was set to air. It aired the day after he committed suicide, August ninth. So, um, I edited a couple of those episodes, and it was uh, pretty profound. The things that they had to say about him, and and what his life meant to them, and and the mm-hmm. words that he wrote. And you know, it's not, you know, the the writing's never really on the wall, but it's it's sad when you can go back and look at somebody and it's um, you find the, clear find that the, the suggestions that yeah. you, you see the suggestions exactly they so they ended up dedicating an entire episode to him and they had um, some listeners call in and express you know their fondness for him mm-hmm. and it was just it was really touching and I've been going back and listening to it to it now with some fresh ears mm-hmm. so it's it's yeah, he seems like a pretty important and impressive and interesting guy yeah. it's such yeah. a shame yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that's a, the way you put that to close was 
was pretty apt, which is I, I do feel like at, at a certain point in my life I'm going to give this guy the, the, the time that he's due to kind of go yeah. back through his catalog and, and listen because, yeah, it does seem like he had a lot of important stuff that he was saying. That, But also, I mean, he refused to allow the label to promote in any way, shape, or form any album that they ever put out. Like, they were not allowed to do any promotions, really? no poster, yeah, none. <laughs> Which is again just kind of like the whole, yeah. and it is. It is kind of an eye roll. It's like that. That's the whole. That's that whole thing that annoys us about the indie side of the of the music industry of the like the whole, <laughs> you know, no advertising is for you know is evil and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I do feel like he's got. Well, he's got. He he made an impression on so many people that that we respect and care about right. whose music we respect and care about. That seems um, uh, I think arrogance not the right word, but it seems silly to not not try to give him his sure. due. So. I think anybody who hasn't heard of them should should check them out just to see what see what they think. Um, yeah. So and uh, I, uh, do you have a, a song that you wanted to play play well, us out with? Yeah. So I, I went through. I was going through to to see if there was one that seemed like it would be fitting. And honestly, the um the the track that I selected was actually his favorite song he ever wrote. Um, really. So that's why oh, I, wow. that, that's why I picked this one. It was uh, beautiful. He, he, yep, so it's Darkness and Cold. It's off of uh, the, the latest Purple Mountains album. Very cool. Well, before I do that, I um, oh. wanted to thank you guys. And also to mention that uh, we just got some news. Speaking of rocking the suburbs, it's a, a podcast that's been around for a, for a while now, a couple years, 600-some episodes. They do a, a it's daily. daily. Yeah. They're daily. And um, we just got uh, the offer to do a couple guest episodes for them. So coming up nice. here at the end of Woo-hoo. September... You should check it out. Uh, we'll be invading the Rock in the Suburbs studios. So. Crossover, and we're not even released yet. That's awesome. <laughs> shh, yeah. shh. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're six episodes in or whatever. So. We out here. All right, so something to look forward to. That'll be that'll be so cool. Yeah, can't wait to do that. Hell yeah, looking forward to it. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank um, you. We'll talk to you all next week. This is uh, Darkness and Cold from uh, Purple Mountains. Have a good week, everybody. Darkness and cold, darkness and cold.